The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not only in me, but also in the one who sent me. And whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. I came into the world as light, so that everyone who believes in me might not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not observe them, I do not condemn him. For I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever rejects me and does not accept my words has something to judge him. The word that I spoke, it will condemn him on the last day, because I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. So what I say, I say as the Father told me. The Gospel of the Lord. As we continue our movement through the Acts of the Apostles, having shifted now more fully into the account of the journeys and the mission of St. Paul and his co-workers, it is helpful to be aware of and attentive to a couple things. We Catholics have a tendency to be in love with all things Roman. And there was a strong tendency a number of years ago when interpretations of history were put forth. It was rightly observed that the roads that Rome was famous for building so that the soldiers of Rome could pass easily from one place to another, that messengers of the emperor could quickly and swiftly travel, that the empire was united by means of these roads along which commerce and security and information were allowed to pass, were already in place lying in wait for the feet of the apostles as they began to travel carrying the word, the message of the true king. However, what was often overlooked in those discussions, accurate as they were, is that along those Roman roads were synagogues. And we will see something vitally important here because just as providentially those roads were laid out or in place or were being built, just as the moment of bringing the word to the nations was about to happen, so too those roads were dotted with synagogues. There were more Jews living outside of Palestine, outside of the Holy Land, than were living in Judea. We often forget that element of history. And there were more Jews who read the scriptures in Greek than who did in Hebrew or Aramaic. This is why, in no small measure, the Old Testament quotations that we have in the New Testament are from the Greek version of the Old Testament. The translation of the scriptures that was prepared in the Egyptian city of Alexandria. And why? 
because that was the language of the people of God spread more broadly across the world. And we see here now something that we've been noting in miniature prior to this, that the privileged first location of announcing the gospel as the church begins moving from one area to another is in the synagogues. Because this great Jewish diaspora spread especially across the eastern part of the Mediterranean. In the Greek-speaking cities and towns, there were synagogues and Jews who spoke Greek. And so the first entry point into those areas, as we hear today, for Paul and Barnabas, is they go to the synagogues. On the one hand, to their countrymen. On the one hand, to the place that is familiar. On the one hand, to the place that has been prepared and has been waiting. Waiting for this fullness of word and truth that comes in and through Jesus Christ. But it also becomes the initial point of contact with these other cultures, with these other areas. And so that they arrive in these places not as complete strangers, because there is an entry point. We will see time and time again this shift into the synagogue and then beyond the synagogue. Until finally we see a proclamation that doesn't start in the synagogue in new areas. Because the church has grown more robust and the broader world has more fully engaged the message of the church. But how interesting then that as we look at, in a sense, the words of the Old Testament announcing and preparing the way for their own fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see the roads of Rome paved for the service of the empire, emperor being placed at the service of he who is truly the king and lord of all nations. And we see these other places where the faithful who gathered Saturday after Saturday, Sabbath after Sabbath, to reflect upon those words of what we now call the Old Testament, were waiting as well and were prepared in their own way and were preparation in their own way for the arrival of the announcement of the gospel as it began moving from nation to nation. It's just absolutely remarkable in the sense of how the Lord, how God, presses into his service that which man believes he is building for his own purposes. And how all things are added up together for the good and given order and a fullness of meaning that is only found in the light of the gospel. And so it's good and it's right then that we have this important statement of Jesus about himself coming into the world as light. And why does light arrive? It arrives so that those who have not seen have the chance to see. The Lord then speaks of a curious blindness, not the blindness that we describe medically, the eyes simply don't work. But the blindness that comes to eyes that work properly, but it doesn't matter how good and how healthy and how clear the eye functions, 
if there's no light at all. It doesn't matter if the eye is perfectly healthy, if there's nothing to see. And so note this statement of, I have come into the world as light. Something has been missing. However clear you believe your vision is, the Lord says, however healthy your eyes may in fact be, something still has been missing. And without light, even the healthy eye sees nothing. Even the healthy eye is blind. There is only an accidental difference between a working eye and a non-working eye if there is no light. The difference only has meaning, only has value when there is light so that the healthy eye can actually function. And so note the Lord here then saying, I have come into the world as light. There is a seeing that is simply not possible without me. There is a knowing that is simply not possible unless I am present. And he continues then, note now, whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. There is no full seeing of God that doesn't involve a seeing of me. And there is no real seeing of me that doesn't look in a curious sense, beyond me, or through me, or into me, to see that I am never alone, that I am never by myself. This is the way Jesus insists on the absolute inseparability between himself and his Father. The absolute non-negotiable union and unity between him and the Father. You do not have one without the other. And so, if you desire the Father, you will come to me. If you know who I truly am, you will know who it is who has sent me. And in speaking this way, Jesus is now saying something very important. He says, note, the one who hears my word and doesn't believe, I will not condemn, because that's not why I have come. Note the clarity. I have come for one reason, and one reason only. It is not to cast aside those who don't accept me. It is not to punish. It is not to condemn. I have come for the sake of salvation. That is why I have come. And so if you do not accept me, I am not here to condemn you. What an interesting statement. Think of how your own heart reacts when you're not accepted. And especially when you're innocent and you're trying to be good and it's rejected. And there is a certain anger, a certain self-righteous frustration that we feel. And here's Jesus saying, I'm not real worried about that. I'm not here to respond angrily 
to your rejection of me. I am not here to live in frustration because of that. I am here that you have the opportunity to receive salvation. And everything I say, everything I do is directed to your salvation. And so he says, then our relationship with salvation has a certain dependence on our relationship with him. And so note, I don't condemn you. Oh, but there will be something that will condemn you, and it is the message that I am giving you. Because that message is not merely mine. It belongs to, and it has its origin in, the one who sent me. And so if you turn your back to me, don't fool yourself and think you're turning toward God. If you turn your back to me, don't fool yourself and flatter yourself that you will have a healthy relationship with God when you've turned your back on the word that he has sent. Jesus doesn't come right out and say, I'm divine right here in so many words, but note the clear implication. To turn your back on me is to turn away from the one who sent me. To reject the word that I proclaim to you is to reject the word that God has given to you. To turn from me is to turn from him. I don't need to condemn you. Your movement away takes care of that on its own. However much you flatter yourself and however much you fool yourself. And this is the challenging message that St. Paul and Barnabas and the other apostles and disciples are bringing into the world. That there is not only something decisive that happens through Jesus, but that Jesus is decisive for a right and full relationship with God. That salvation and the word of salvation come in and through Jesus Christ from God himself. And there is no other source. And there is no other source. And so the church goes forth with this bold call, not just that Jesus is risen, but that because he's risen and we know he is the one, we must move and place our lives in conformity with him. So Paul goes to the synagogue and will announce, the one that you've been expecting, waiting for, praying for, longing for, has come, and we know who he is. That's not merely information. That's a command, that's a demand, that's a challenge. If we know who he is, then we must move. We must go to him. We must learn from him because he is the one. And they will go from the synagogues to the nations and say something similar. 
Deep in your heart you have suspected there is more. However much you think the social world in which you live is the fundamental ordering of your life, there is more. And there is one who extends this gift of salvation even to you. But to embrace it, you must embrace him. This is the wonderful exclusivity of the Christian message. And when we speak this way, this is not to cavalierly condemn those who innocently have not accepted the gospel. There are many reasons why one perhaps has not come to belief. One of the most common is the lack of adequate witness. Um, but note how the Lord here is beginning first with those who have give, been given greater opportunity to hear, to see, and to know. And now he comes and says, all of that hearing and seeing and knowing has led to this moment. You were made for this moment. How do you respond? And then from there, the church goes out to the broader world and says to the broader world as well, you were made for this moment. This moment to respond to this message about this Jesus, who is the light of the world. And only by approaching that light and receiving that light will you ever see clearly. Because however well your eyes apparently function, if there is not adequate light, they will never see well. And to see well, spiritually, morally, religiously, personally, one requires light. And that light has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And here, we're going to come forward in the light of his victory, in the light of his resurrection, and we're going to stretch out our hands to his very presence. But note how beautiful it is, that word of Christ. Because before we come forward, I will hold up the consecrated host and the chalice, the body and blood of our Lord, his very presence. And I will say, behold the Lamb of God. And what did Jesus say? Whoever sees me sees also the one who sent me in his love, in his goodness, in his might, and in his power. And the heart that hungers for me is the heart that hungers for God. And both of those hungers, both of those longings, however deep, however ancient, however powerful, are fulfilled when one receives and even feasts on me. And in seeing him that way, we actually have a wonderful vision of that very, very beautiful opening prayer for today's Mass. And note how the collect began. We named God in a number of significant ways. Almighty God, life of the faithful, glory of the humble blessedness of the just. 
And it is only right that we recognize that the Lord who we receive is exactly those things. Who is He? He is the life by which the faithful live. He is the glory of the humble, because what is humility? It is not to glory in oneself or one's accomplishments or one's family or one's possessions. The glory of the humble and the blessedness, the happiness, the contentment of the just. And as we learn from him how to be truly faithful, how to be truly humble, how to be truly just, what we receive is life, glory, and blessedness. And what could be better than that? But how do we receive such things? We stretch out our hands to him, to him from whom they come. Amen.